भद्रम कर्णेशृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्वागम सस्तनुभि व्यशेम देवितयु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति नूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्ष्यो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शातिशाशा कम टू कारिका नंबर सेवेंटीन और एटीन वी आर डूइंग द एटीन वन यस कारिका नंबर एटीन वी आर डूइंग द एटीन वन प्लीज रिपीट आफ्टर मी विकल्पो विनिवर्तेत विकल्पो विनिवर्तेत कल्पितो यदि केनचेत कल्पितो यदि केनचेत उपदेशादयवादो उपदेशादयवादो ज्ञाते द्वैत न विद्यते ज्ञाते द्वैत न विद्यते This difference, duality, or he has translated here as diversity, would disappear if it had been imagined by anyone. This kind of talk, that means this kind of instruction based on duality, duality of teacher and the taught, and knower and the known, and you have to know yourself as Brahman. It all uh, sounds like duality. So this kind of talk, which seems to be based on duality, is for the sake of making teaching possible. in the condition of ignorance we use this kind of teaching uh, we, we make use of duality though we know that ultimately duality is false so uh, this kind of talk is for the sake of making instruction possible duality ceases to exist after realization gyate tatve dvaitam na vidyate when the truth is realized when the reality is realized then duality ceases to exist so this is what has been said what does it mean remember what have we gathered so far in uh, mandukya upanishad to put it very simply by knowing yourself you know the ultimate reality how do you know yourself the peculiar technique this particular technique taught in the mandukya upanishad is look at your own experience throughout your day you have these three kinds of experience a waking experience dreams and deep sleep broadly three kinds of experience everybody we all share this in common when you look at these three kinds of experience the upanishad tells you there is a fourth a fourth which is the real nature of yourself though you experience yourself as these three as the waker and the waker's world as the dreamer and the dream world as the deep sleeper in the deep sleep darkness and yet in and through all of these separate from all of these underlying all of these is your real nature pure consciousness it 
Upanishad just gives it the name the fourth. Turiyam means the fourth. It gives it the name the fourth. Now, Gaudapada, come, come, come. Gaudapada analyzed this as um, a play of ignorance and error. All our problems are a play of ignorance and error. The classic example of a snake and rope, which of course Gaudapada did not, uh, or the Upanishad does not use. Um, classic example of a snake and a rope is, when we are ignorant of the rope, we make an error about and see a snake. It need not just be a snake. Different people may see different things. In the classic example used in the texts, somebody sees it as a snake. But then somebody else sees it as a crack on the ground caused by the last earthquake. Somebody sees it as a garland discarded from a temple. Uh, so different people see different things. All of them are wrong. They're all based on ignorance of the reality which, that it's a rope. And they see different, they make different kinds of errors. So there is ignorance and there is error. Now the truth, when you realize the truth that it is a rope, it removes the ignorance about the rope. You realize it's a rope. The moment the ignorance is removed, it also removes the error, which is that it's a snake or something else. Once ignorance is removed, error is automatically removed. Exactly like that. If the real nature about ourselves, our real nature is Turiyam, the pure consciousness, not the waker, not the dreamer, not the deep sleeper. When and how shall I know that I am Turiyam? I already know that I am the waker. Now if this is an error, like a snake, and if Turiyam is the truth, like the rope, so when shall I know that I am Turiyam? How shall I know that I am Turiyam? The clue is given by Gaurapada because it's a play of ignorance and error. Who is under ignorance? Who is under error? Remember, there are four. Waker, dreamer, deep sleeper, turiyam. Vishwa, taijasa, pragya, turiyam. There are four. Tell me among them who is under uh, ignorance, who is under error? The waker and the dreamer are under ignorance and error. Correct. Do you follow? The waker and the dreamer are under ignorance and error. They are ignorant of the fact. When you are a waker or a dreamer, you are ignorant of the fact that you are Turiyam. And you have made the error that you are this body and mind in this world. That's who you are, waker. Or you are in the dream world, in a dream body, experiencing dream uh, events. That's who I am. That's the dreamer. So though both are errors. Now there is one who has got no error but, all, but just ignorance. Who is that? The deep sleeper. I am the Turiyam. Ultimately, really, practically speaking. Really speaking, I am always the Turiyam. Really speaking, it's never a snake. It's always a rope. But practically speaking, it's only when the snake error goes away, the rope ignorance goes away, then you know it's really a rope. Similarly, practically I am always Satchidananda, I am Turiyam. But um, uh, really speaking, but practically speaking, I am Turiyam only when I am free of ignorance and error. 
Who is the only one free of ignorance and error? Turiyam. That's what Gaurapada, now you see the beauty of Gaurapada's analysis. It, point, it summarizes the entire teaching and points you directly to the truth. What is to be done? Get rid of ignorance and error. How do you get rid of ignorance and error? Don't fight with the error. If you fight with the error, get entangled more and more. Go straight to the truth. Remove the ignorance about the truth, know the truth, error will disappear by itself. That's what it said. Gyate tatve dvaitam navidyate. When the reality is known, duality disappears. Duality here is error. That I am an individual separate from the world. This will disappear. You don't have to wipe out duality. Smash everything into oneness. Pound everything into uh, atoms or quarks or something. No. Let everything remain as it is. Let everything remain appearing as it is. But once you realize that you are the thurium, this duality will disappear. One, a couple of observations here. One is, all kinds of error disappear if the one ignorance is removed. Somebody saw it as a snake, somebody saw it as a crack on the ground, somebody saw it as a garland. Three kinds of error. All based on one ignorance, which is, I don't know it's a rope. The moment they know it's a rope, all kinds of errors disappear. Similarly, the moment I know I am Turiyam, all things, all the errors arising out of that ignorance um, of my Turiyam nature, that I am a body, that I am old or diseased or uh, I am insulted or I am unhappy or I am going to die, all are errors. This is entirely a game of error. All these errors disappear at one stroke. As Turiyam, do I need to lose weight? No. Turiyam is no weight. As Turiyam, do I need to uh, put um, somebody in his or her place? No. The, all that somebody is also me. We are all one. As Turiyam, uh, do I need to wallow in, in, uh, in depression or hurt or irritation? No. All those are movements in the mind. If I am not the mind, then the movements of the mind also are of no concern to me. The mind itself settles down when you realize you are not the mind. So every problem, your problem, it disappears when you realize that you are the Thuriyam. All those problems are born of error. Samsara is born of error. Samsara goes away by what? Not by driving it away. Not by this practice or going to a heaven or um, you know um, by some peculiar technique. Nothing. There's a simple teaching of the Mandukya Upanishad. Just know yourself. Your own glory is such that the, in its light there can be no samsara, there can be no darkness. It all goes away at that point. That's one observation. The second observation is, um, is that notice what was said. Oh, second observation is crucial. When you say duality goes away, Error goes away. And I'm using an example like a rope snake. Somewhere in our mind, another error will enter. That is, oh, just like the snake disappears, similarly the world will disappear. No, the world will not disappear. The experience of the world will continue. As long as there is a body, you will experience a body. 
as long as you have eyes, you will see things. Ears, you will hear things. All of this experience will continue. Knowledge does not destroy anything in the world. Knowledge just destroys ignorance. So the world appearance will continue. Just like you know right now, there is not a bit of blue, there isn't a blue, um, you know, um, like a blue tent on top of us, like a um, blue um, hemisphere covering the world. No, it just looks like that. Even after knowing that when you look up, it looks blue. You know that the sun doesn't rise. You know that, right? <laughs> so, you know that the sun doesn't rise. No, 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 not everybody knows. Recently, I, I heard of a, of a guy who is an engineer who actually made a rocket private by himself and to launch himself into space to, so that he could prove his theory that the earth is flat. He doesn't believe anybody in the government or in the NASA or anybody. And, and he launched himself. <laughs> he went up, I think, quite some time, in, uh, quite some distance and came back. So it was in the news. <laughs> now, even when you realize that the sun doesn't rise, it's just the earth rotating. After, after that, when you look, you will see the sun rising. You will see the sun going there. You will see the sun setting. It looks like that. Your eyes will tell you that. And you know, your knowledge is perfect. Not only that, it doesn't trouble you. Not only doesn't it trouble you, you can go, go on using the language of sunrise and sunset. It's practical. It's useful. After realizing non-duality, the world will not disappear. The experience of the world will continue. The experience of the world will not trouble you. The experience of the world, you can use it and function perfectly well in this world, just like anybody else under ignorance and error. You can function as the waker, you can function as the dreamer, or non, not function at all as the deep sleeper, perfectly well knowing that I am the witness in which these three revolve. So that's the second observation. Note one thing, the phrase, Gyate Tattvam Dvaitam Navidyate, knowing the reality, duality does not exist anymore. That means, duality exists in ignorance and non-duality in knowledge. When you know it, then it's non-duality. When you don't know it, it's duality. Duality appears there. Which means that which appears in ignorance is false. That which appears in knowledge is correct. So, advaitam, non-duality is the truth and duality, this experience of difference, it's false. When I say experience of difference, remember what I mean is the reality of difference is false. The experience of difference will continue. That's otherwise, it's impossible to function in the world. If everything disappears in a flash of light and after enlightenment you exist in a blinding light all the time, then you can't eat, walk, talk, and worst of all, you can't teach Vedanta. <laughs> that was the question here. That teacher and the taught, you're talking about the disappearance of duality, but what's going on here right now? We are having Vedanta. That was the, that's the topic. This difference between the teacher and the taught, it clearly it is duality. So will knowledge remove this duality? And Gaurapada's answer is typically um, um, elliptical and little mischievous. He says, if duality existed, it could have been removed. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
it appears to exist. And Shankaracharya explains in his uh, commentary, just he gives the example of snake and rope. If there was a rope, if there was a snake, it could have been driven away. It could have been removed. But there is no snake. It looks like that. Even when we use the language of knowledge comes and removes the snake produced by ignorance and error, we are already making, setting up a, a problematic thing, you know, as if there was a snake. But actually, practically, look at it, there was no snake. Even by mistake when that person was seeing, there was no snake. When you realize it's not a snake, there is no snake. No snake ever came, no snake was ever driven away. No snake was ever removed, because there is no snake there at all. Just looked like that. So exactly like that, he's saying, if there, is, if there was a duality of teacher and thought, if there is a duality of knower and known, then it could have been removed. We could have discussed this whole problem. There is no such problem at all. Yes. Uh, uh, pardon? In his case, the teacher hmm. was not born with knowledge. Yes. He attained knowledge. Yes. So there was a change that happened. Yes. Right? So, before he had knowledge and after he had knowledge, the perception of duality has to have changed. The perception of duality is still there. What has changed is the reality attributed to the perception of duality. The, the Sanskrit term used is mithyatva nishchaya. Come in, come in. What happens is, the duality which is perceived, if you attribute reality to it, that really there are two things. This is what we, we think now. In ignorance we think that there are really many, many things in the world. They are all separate. And I am this one little separated individual. This thing will go away. You feel, you distinctly see, understand and grasp a sense of complete oneness with the world. That came, that change in perception came. That change in, uh, I would say, understanding or clarity comes. But perception, when, you, when I mean perception is seeing, he will still see the same thing as you see. So he will still see that uh, the difference between teacher and taught, between uh, food and himself, the body and the food, take the food and put it in the mouth, all those differences he will see. So you can still see the difference. The example is very simple. Take the classic example of gold and ornaments. When you realize that all this variety of ornaments with different names, different uses, different prices, they are all the same gold. After realizing that also, that it's the same material, same substance, you can still identify the ornaments, you can still put them on in the right places, you can still understand the different prices, all of that. So... Um, Vyavahara, usage in the world will continue as it is. An enlightened person sees all that and understands. Only difference between an enlightened person and not an enlightened person is that the enlightened person or the enlightened person and before being enlightened, the difference is the enlightened person sees an underlying reality which he did not see earlier. Sees means understands, clearly grasps. And in this case, understanding and being is the same thing because that underlying reality is he himself. You yourself are that underlying reality. So why doesn't that produce a change? Because now he realizes there is no duality. Yeah. So why is he the teacher? Uh, because... Because that implies duality. He knows yes. that duality is futile. It's not real. It's not real. But when you experience the duality, you know, remember the experience still continues. So there you see 
Here, the, that same consciousness is in a body and mind. Um, the teacher realizes that here is the knowledge. And there I am, I, myself, in another body and mind, without this knowledge and suffering, I would like to give it to them. So, that might be one reaction. Then enlightened person... Yeah. Then? The agency still remains in the body and mind, no doubt. There is a kind of... There is a word used in Vedanta called Badhita. Badhita means sublated. Which means everything continues except that you know it's not real. It's like everything was real. Suddenly I realized the whole thing is a virtual reality simulation. It still continues. It's like a movie. Watching a movie. You thought it was real. Suddenly you realize it's a movie. Now the plot of the movie and the activities in the movie, they all continue. And you enjoy it also. But internally, you have got a great advantage now. It doesn't touch you anymore. You can ups and downs. It's not so very serious or it's not a nightmare. It's not so very urgent. You can be relaxed about it. And your approach can be very universal, uh, loving. You feel a oneness. Remember, snake, rope, all this sets up a kind of thinking in our mind. It might not be exactly right according to, I mean, for the realized person. Because there is no true example for that. These are various examples trying to point at it. Snake rope, once you realize it's not a snake, you can dismiss the whole thing from your mind. But is it like that for an enlightened person? Can the enlightened person dismiss the world from his mind? Maybe not. Because you see in the case of many enlightened persons, they're tremendously compassionate about the world. They don't dismiss it. In fact, just the opposite. They feel a tremendous oneness with everything. So, that's the way it is. Yes. Can an enlightened person dismiss uh, religious rituals uh, because they seem to be steeped in duality? And yes. And prayer and right, right. An enlightened person can completely dispense with religious rituals and they can, um, uh, can make a mockery of it, can make fun of it without the slightest problem. One example. And the opposite is, the enlightened person can be continuously in the, performing all religious rituals, remain like the most perfect orthodox member of his or her own religion. Which one will the enlightened person do? No rule about it. Yesterday I made a point. It's an interesting point. I think it was the gospel class. For a seeker, it's always by the book. A seeker, spiritual seeker, follows the rules of morality, religion, tries the best, you know, tries to meditate, tries to do unselfish work, tries to love everybody, overcome one's own deficiencies, that spiritual struggle. It should be by the book. Then things are going well. But for the enlightened person, there is no rule. They throw away the book. They can follow the book to the letter much better than any one of us. Or they may not follow the book at all. Book by book I mean conventional laws, morality. You cannot bind down the enlightened person. There are no prescriptions for the enlightened person. They can be of a wide range of people. They can be a naked sage wandering in the forest. Shukas Tyagi, there is a verse. Shukadeva, who wandered naked all over the world had no possessions to call his own enlightened person, Brahma Jnani. Exactly the opposite. Uh, Nripau Janakaraghavau. Emperors, kings, 
Ram, Raja Ramchandra and um, Janaka, the Emperor Janaka, they ruled kingdoms and they were a full Brahmagyani. Who is a greater enlightened person? Both are the same. The monk wandering without any kind of possession, fully enlightened. And this person with, and running an empire, um, dealing with all the problems of life, also fully enlightened. So there's no well, it rule. Seems to me that, yeah. uh, um, according to Advaita Vedanta, enlightenment can be instantaneous. It need not be through a spiritual practice. It can be instantaneous. Look at what we are seeing now. Ignorance is the root of the problem. If you break through ignorance, now is the breaking through ignorance instantaneous or time-bound uh, or a process? Both. One is the moment knowledge flashes, you know it's, it's a rope, finished. But there is a time-bound process to it also. Before that you investigated, your heart was beating fast and you got a flashlight and looked carefully, ready to run away at any moment. That took some time. In a flash the knowledge came, it's not a snake, it's a rope. So you're enlightened. But even after that your heart keeps beating for just a little while more. Beating fast, a little while more. Sri Ramakrishna says it heart keeps pounding a little just after that. So the enlightened person who may not be perfected, what happens is, there's a whole book about this. Um, Jivan Mukti Viveka by Vidyaranya Swami, the same Swami who wrote, monk who wrote Panchadashi. He wrote another book, Jivan Mukti Viveka, an analysis of enlightenment, living, uh, being free in this very life. He says, basically... Full enlightenment consists of three things. This an, we are going off in an aside here. Just an interesting note before we get back to the main topic. Full enlightenment consists of three things. One is of course knowledge. You realize I am Brahman or I am Turiyam. That's knowledge. That get, you get only by removing ignorance. The second one is, he says, um, Manonasha. The Manonasha literally means uh, destruction of the mind. Here it means absolute control, concentration of the mind. Absolute focus of the mind. Third is uh, eradication of desires. The conditioning of the mind. The mind must be purified. That is, so the terms he uses are Tattva Bodha, which means realization of the reality. Manonasha, that means the complete... Um, cessation of the movements of the mind. Third one, he says, Vasanakshaya, purification of all the impurities of the mind. That means the worldly tendencies of the mind. These three are necessary, he says, for full-blown enlightenment. Otherwise, what happens is, and then he gives an example. He says, usually what happens is, all the spiritual practices, they ensure these things happen. We have already seen this. He has given new, new terms to it. But remember our uh, three-tier structure of spiritual practice. I have mentioned it here. Problem, impurity of the mind. Solution, purity of the mind. Method, karma yoga. Problem, fluctuation, distractions of the mind. A flickering mind. Solution, concentrated mind. Method, dhyana yoga. Upasana or meditation and worship and meditation. Dhyana. And then problem, ignorance, solution, knowledge, method, 
Jnana Yoga, this path of knowledge. So this is the three tiers. Now can you match it with what Vidyaranya is saying? The three things necessary for full enlightenment. One is purity of the mind. One is concentration of the mind. One is knowledge. Exactly the same thing he's saying. Only in each case he's talking, taking it to the extreme. Ignorance must totally go, knowledge must be there completely. Um, the distraction of the mind must be totally removed and their mind must be able to be in samadhi, in deep meditation at desire. And then all worldly desires should be completely removed, mind must be purified. Basically you need the mind of a saint. <laughs> Absolutely, he means it literally, he's very serious about it. Now, he points out, normally for a spiritual seeker, all three should move together and it should culminate in maximization of all three. You become a fully enlightened person. But he points out, there's a whole long discussion. There are people, he says, who attain one without the others. So there are people, it's quite possible, they attain knowledge, a breakthrough, a grasp on non-duality, understanding, clarity, without completing their purification of the mind, without attaining samadhi, the highest form meditation possible. Then he says, what happens to such people? He says, such people, what is promised that knowledge will give you liberation. They will get liberation. At the point of death, they will never come back to this world again. They will get liberation. But what will happen to such people while they are living is that they will be buffeted by the ups and downs of samsara and they will be buffeted by problems of the body and mind to some extent. To the extent that their mind and body are not under their control. They know very well that I am not the body and mind. But, the, but when the pin pricks them, they will say, ouch. Because the mind has not been brought into alignment with that knowledge. The mind has not been purified and concentrated enough to manifest that knowledge. So that person might understand. That person might even have clarity about his or her real nature. But even then... It will be still be a struggle to uh, manifest it in day-to-day -day life. Now that kind of, some people might say that's not enlightenment in that case. You might, it's up to you. You might call it that, that is still the person is in process. In that case, in that case, what is the recommendation? Um, the uh, teacher there says that intensive sadhana must be taken up. What remains to be completed must be completed. Then you will get they say Jivan Muktika Vilakshan Sukh. The unique bliss of Jivan Mukti will be available only when you can manifest that knowledge in your day-to-day -day activities. One point here, I note how wonderful it is that Swami Vivekananda defined religion not as the knowledge of the divinity within yourself, as the manifestation of the divinity within yourself. He further said that it is my mission in life to preach unto humanity their inner divinity and, then he says, and how to make it manifest in every movement of life. If you can bring that knowledge to play in your day-to-day -day life, if you can be unselfish, if you can be serene in the face of provocation, if you can be unmoved by sorrow, by hunger and thirst, by disease and pain, then that knowledge has become manifest. Then it fulfills its purpose in, while living. But Vidyaranya says, even if one cannot do that, that person is still free because uh, at the point of death when the body goes is videha mukti that means attains bodiless liberation. 
So there is a process. Yeah. One last thing is that it seems to me that Ramad Maharshi did not put much stock in religious practices, but just focused on asking oneself, "Who am I?" Yeah. And um, so, why is that? Is that is that different from what he? No, no, that's perfectly right. He focused on the core truth, like Mandukya Upanishad does. Look, what ritual is prescribed here? Nothing. What do you have to believe? Yeah, only that much. That also you don't have to be careful. You don't have to believe that. If you believe it, Godapada will start tearing his hair if he had any. You have to know it, not believe it. Believing is a good thing to start with. But not, the whole point is to know it. Nothing to believe. No ritual to practice. Um, only a technique of meditation which he will give now. But that meditation is also like something which helps you to realize this philosophical truth. Not some god or goddess, nothing like that. So it's exactly like that. Um, so Raman Marshi always would go straight to the truth. He would try it out. If somebody came, you'd sit in silence. If you sit in silence and your problems are solved and go away, you're the best kind. If you ask a question, then Raman Marshi would say, who is asking that question? Even all these questions, you know, his technique would not be to answer it. If you ask that uh, is a realization instantaneous or does it take time? He would ask, who is asking this question? Find out that first. Because his point is very serious. Whatever answer I give to you, it's an answer given to the ego. So the ego will take it and say, I have understood. Or it will say, I have not understood. In both cases, ignorance. In both cases, the ego will take whatever you give to the ego, ego will take and turn it into samsara. It will produce samsara. So, I give you a, an answer and the answer the student takes is, okay, here is my worldview, I'm understanding of Advaita, I plug in this answer and it works or it does not work. Both cases, it's just intellectual journey. Whereas Raman Maharshi, what he would point out is, who asked this question? Who wants to know? He throws the, ask, the person who is asking back upon himself. There's an interesting story. Somebody came and asked a question uh, and Raman Maharshi sharply said, go back the way you have come. And he got up scared and was about to go back and Raman Maharshi said, I don't mean that. Go back the way you have come means from internally, from where this thing which has come and out and asking a question, trace it back. The seventh mantra we saw, Ekatma Pratyasaram. Take, get hold of that one which keeps saying I, I, I and trace it back to its source. That's exactly what the whole thing Raman Maharshi asked was based on that one. Now to that I will add, there are a number of times when Raman Maharshi encouraged bhakti, he encouraged I think even repetition of mantra, there are few people. He realized they needed it. If he kept blocking their way by saying, find out who I am and it made no impression on them then what will make an impression on them? So, skillful way of teaching is necessary. Raman Maharshi went straight to the truth and he found the truth. Yeah. I'll come to you. You just mentioned about that category that understands it but doesn't manifest it in their daily life. Hmm. And you also said that you know, we may not consider them enlightened hmm. and it's up to you. So my, my question is, how can you possibly consider them enlightened? I mean, if they're not manifesting it in their daily life or in, in no uh, you if you the kind of people they are talking about Vidyanya Swami is talking about they are rare and they are very advanced spiritual practitioners their struggle will be at a very rarefied level 
we would probably consider them to be saints. Right? Mm. There are people who have suffered, they seem to be suffering from disease and pain and also spiritual people. Now a doubt may come in your mind that if he is enlightened, why is he suffering with the body? It's just that that power is not there to use that enlightenment to overcome at that moment. It can happen, one must take it into account. And it's, it's very logical actually. Because the manifestation of that knowledge happens in the mind and the body. Yeah. And that's still different from what Raman just cautioned about the fact that the ego listens to the answer. This is very different, that's very different, very very different. It's not a person, see one thing will, this person will have, the person who has realized it but not yet fully manifested, that realization will never go away. This is quite different from the person who thinks that I have understood it and next moment thinks that uh, I got confused again. Or next moment thinks that I, had, I thought I had understood it but now I don't understand it anymore. Uh, it goes through ups and downs. Cannot overcome problems. See, this person who has got a deep understanding of Advaita, maybe not fully realized yet, but can bring, bring to bear this understanding on day-to-day -day problems and can make them disappear, maybe not immediately, but after some time. Got irritated. Now I settle back upon the clear understanding within myself that of the one self everywhere. Irritation will disappear like, a mirror, like a, uh, water on, on, a, on a, a hot day. Like an ice, like melt away, like ice on a hot day. So that power this person has. It may not be to the level that is completely unaffected, like Raman Maharshi or the Buddha or you know. It so there is a level. There are gradations. Advaita Vedanta also recognizes there are gradations of absorption in Brahman. Brahmavit, knower of Brahman. Brahmavit Vara, a superior knower of Brahman. Brahmavit Variyan. Uh, much more superior knower of Brahman, Brahma with Varishtha, the supreme knower of Brahman. Now, what do you mean by these things? This, does this per these persons know Brahman better and better? No, they classify them by their degree of absorption in Brahman. The knower of Brahman had an intuitive flash about Brahman, realized I am Brahman. How? Forever. But that's it. The Brahma with Vara. He, that person can again and again become immersed in Brahman. Maybe a second or third time can, can go back into that unitive experience and stay, can remain absorbed in Samadhi. But would tend to come out of Samadhi also. We see that, if you look at the lives of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, you will see that. They come out of Samadhi. The third category, the superior, much superior knower of Brahman, Brahman, these are different degrees, uh, the much superior knower of Brahman is the one who goes into this absorption in Brahman, Nirvikalpa Samadhi, but cannot come out unless somebody else brings him out. You see the, in the life of Raman Maharshi also. After the initial realization, he remained immersed in it for months till almost the body was perishing. He went under, underneath a temple in, in a, uh, like a dungeon. He stayed there in the basement of the temple, abundant basement of the temple. He stayed there. So, their tendency is like that. After Sri Ramakrishna attained Nirvikalpa Samadhi under the guidance of Totapuri, Totapuri left. Sri Ramakrishna remained like that for six months. Somebody else, another monk would visit and would hit Sri Ramakrishna with a stick to make him, to get some kind of external consciousness back and thrust food into his mouth. Uh, 
So this is a very superior grade. Somebody else can pull the person down. And Sri Ramakrishna himself instructed people around him with different mantras, names of God, you sing this, you chant this, then I'll come back. Then the final one is Brahmavid Varishta, who neither by his own efforts nor by anybody else's efforts can ever come back. There Sri Ramakrishna says, 21 days the body falls away. When you go to that position, basically when you, what do you mean go to that position? That person already knows I am Brahman, long ago. Only the mind becomes so absorbed in it, it can never come back again. So 21 days later the body drops away. That's what Sri Ramakrishna said. So these are different ways. But remember one thing. Gaudapada would be looking on all of this with little irritation. From his point of view, body, mind are all duality. And the various gradations in body and mind which we are so in interested in. These differences among enlightened persons which we are trying to make. From his point of view, this shouldn't do that. These are unimportant differences. Vidyarinya says, if you are interested, especially if you are a sadhaka and you attain these... Um, you, you attain to this and you see you match that it, it matches with my stage. Then you should, if you have further questions, how can I make deepen this realization? You should undertake spiritual practices. And that book is full of spiritual practices. What can you do to deepen your meditation? One chapter is there. What can you do to purify the mind and remove all worldly impressions? Another chapter is there. Jivan Mukti Vivek, which I was talking about. So... Uh, Lot of and he has collected it from different sources, mostly from Yoga Vashishta. He has collected it. Um, and interesting, those things are meant to be applied after enlightenment. <laughs> before enlightenment, also. But what is the difference? Same practice before enlightenment, same practice after enlightenment. But what's the difference? Before enlightenment, you are seeking, you're trying to find. After enlightenment, you're trying to be established in it. You're trying to deepen it. No longer are you seeking. You have found it. There is not the slightest doubt anymore. But trying to deepen it. Another thing that Ramananda Ji uh, told us. Uh, I was there in fact. Ramananda Saraswati. He was regarded as a Brahmagyani. Jivan Mukta in his own lifetime. So, um, one of his disciples. A householder. Had a kidney transplant. So I've told this earlier, but I'll repeat it. Had a kidney transplant. And um, he came and the Swami was asking him about um, his health. And this gentleman said, oh, I'm all right now, but I have all these diet restrictions and I have all these uh, medicine, you know, so many medicines that I have to take. And the Swami, he was not very well uh, conversant with science and medicine. So he asked, why? You have already replaced the kidney. That itself is a great miracle. Then... Then why all this? So the doctor said, if I don't follow these restrictions and take these medicines, three things will happen. First, the kid, my body will not accept the kidney as a part of its system. Second, I will not get the benefit from the new kidney. Third, ultimately the body will reject the kidney and the kidney will die. Okay. Hearing this, the Swami was excited. And he said, he looked at the monks. He said, oh monks, listen to this. This is exactly, once you have studied Vedanta and you feel you are beginning to understand Vedanta, this is exactly what you must do. Remember, he's not talking about an enlightened person. He's talking about a person who's got an intellectual clarity about Vedanta. 
Once you feel you have begun to understand Vedanta, this is exactly what you must do. You must intensify your other spiritual practices. Not just Vedanta. Your Japa, meditation, prayer, purifying the negative tendencies in the mind. Otherwise, what will happen? This is an interesting thing he said. Three things will happen. Exactly like that he said. This knowledge will not be integrated in your personality. What you have studied. Second, it, the benefits will not start flowing from this knowledge. You expect peace and joy and strength to overcome problems and serenity. Those benefits will not come. Third, your system will kill this knowledge and drive it away from you. From you. <laughs> you will feel that at one time I was pretty well established in it, but it all sort of went away and you know, it, something happened. So intensify sadhana. And this is not, not the person who has got enlightenment which Vidyaranya speaks about. This is before that. This is an intellectual grasp on Vedanta. Alright. Now let's go ahead. One topic in Mandukya Upanishad is over. Remember Mandukya Upanishad, smallest of the Upanishads had just two topics. One was Atma Vichara, analysis of the self, of yourself. The second was Omkara Vichara, analysis of Om. So, Atma Vichara, analysis of the self is over. All this we did. Draw a line. Finished. Turn the page. <laughs> now, Omkara Vichara, analysis of Om. This is what we will start today. That's why we wiped the board clean. <laughs> That's the 8th to 12th verse. 8th to 12th mantras. Om. Let's start. The remaining mantras, the Mandukya Upanishad is very small, with only 12 mantras, 7 of which are over. Don't mix up the mantras and the karikas. The karikas are composed by Gaudapada. Mantras are part of the original Upanishad. So 7 mantras are over and the associated karikas are over. Let's go on to the next part, the last part of the Upanishad. From mantras 8 onwards. Mantra 8. Soyamatma Adhyaksharam Onkaram Adhimatram Pada Matra Matrascha Pada Akara Ukara Makaraiti So that very self Considered from the standpoint of the syllable of words, denoting it is Om. Considered from the standpoint of the letters constituting Om, the quarters of the self are, and, and are, of the let, are the letters of the Om and the letters of the quarters. The letters are A, U, Ma. So this is what was said. Now let's see what it means. The Upanishad started by promising two things. An investigation into the self, which was done. Waker, dreamer, deep sleeper and the Turiyam. That was done. And also promised an investigation into Om. Why an investigation into Om? Because um, the investigation into the self is supposed to reveal the truth. I am Brahman, I am Turiyam. Finished. 
what else is required investigation into the ohm ohm is necessary as a support ohm is necessary as a tool which will help us to realize i am theorem so you will see it's a very interesting use of ohm remember the word ohm is a very sacred word in india the most sacred word in india for all hindus they need not be non dualists whether they are dualists whether they are vaishnavas or shaktas or shaivas whether they are um, um, uh, the followers of sankhya or yoga or whatever uh, all varieties of hindus all buddhists all buddhists for them om is very important in tibetan buddhism hum mani padme uh, hum that is there so om is there for jains for sikhs for the sikhs ik omkar the ultimate reality the highest reality is called omkar om so for all uh, indian traditions om has been regarded as the most sacred syllable and many many interpretations have been given i had um uh, i knew a swami who did a research into this what different interpretations of om he collected and it came to three volumes of different kinds of interpretations of om so om stands for uh, brahma vishnu maheshwara the the creator the preserver and the destroyer of the universe om stands for heaven earth and hell the nether worlds higher worlds and this world Om stands for so many many things. Om stands for the for the manifested Brahman, Saguna Brahman, and for the Nirguna Brahman, the Absolute, in different ways. Om is the name of God. Patanjali Yoga Sutra says, "Tasya Vacha Ka Pranava," uh, the name of God, the best name of God is Om, and so on. Many many interpretations, but the deepest, most profound interpretation and use is found here, in the Mandukya Upanishad. This is the the core idea. everything else are layers which come afterwards om is used for all kinds of rituals in in uh, hinduism now what is this what is the use it says did you notice that the self has four aspects that um, the waker then the dreamer and the deep sleeper and the reality the thuriyam notice also the word om has four letters the word om is composed of it's monosyllabic one sound om but it's composed of four letters what are the letters four three letters and one ultimate part of it they are called matra matra means letter or um, a linguistic uh, entity so om is made of three a u and ma in the closest you get in english is a u and m remember a is not a the word the letter a you get in sanskrit and other indian languages a is the sound you make a open your mouth and make a sound a that is a so now that's not a vowel you come across in english in english you come across a e i o u um so o is the first component of om the second component is u the closest we get is u u is not u and third component is m 
which is close to m, m. And the fourth one is the amatra, the silence. It's not a letter, so I'm just calling it, I'm putting it in brackets. Silence. The silence after the three letters. Silence after Om. The Upanishad says that's the fourth aspect of Om. Now, just a, a couple of points. In Sanskrit, there is something called Sandhi. Sandhi means uh, according to... It's joining the sounds. Because of similarity of sounds, the sounds flow into each other. If, if I translate into English, it sound, makes it more complicated. It's euphonic conjunction or something like that. <laughs> uh, but it simply means the letters, if you put them together, the, they modify each other. So, A and U, when you pronounce after one after the other, together they make the Sanskrit letter O. A and U make the letter O. Which is very fortunate because in English we have an O. There is O in English. So when you pronounce Om, you don't pronounce Aum. You don't pronounce it as Aum. I've heard people doing that. Yes. That comes after a little bit of knowledge of Vedanta. <laughs> little, what they were doing earlier is correct. Om is correct. After knowing that it is made of a, u and m, they think, oh, we know better now, aum. <laughs> no, that's wrong. In Sanskrit grammar, it is wrong. It's grammatically wrong. In Sanskrit grammar, when you put a and u together, it becomes o. So, to say om is the correct pronunciation of om. And in English, when you write o and m, it's correct. It's the exact pronunciation of om. So, um, that's one thing. Now what this, this mantra pointed out was that uh, we have, look at this, Om has four um, aspects. aspects and the self also has four aspects. The four aspects of Om are called the four matras and the four aspects of the self are called the four padas, four aspects of the self. What are the four aspects of the self? Waker. Dreamer, deep sleeper, and finally, Turiyam. The waker, let me use the Sanskrit words, Vishwa. Vishwa, I also use Virat. Why? Because in each case there is a cosmic and individual. Here I am as an individual waker. But here is also the entire universe and Upanishad says that there is one consciousness associated with the entire physical universe just as there is a consciousness associated with one physical body. So with one physical body that consciousness is called Vishwa. With the entire universe that same consciousness is called Virat. Dreamer's case Taijasa and Hiranyagarbha. The cosmic mind. Consciousness associated with one mind is Taijasa. Consciousness associated with all minds is Hiranyagarbha. Deep sleeper, Pragya, Ishwara. 
Though I'm using the term like this, in the Upanishad itself the term used is Antaryami. The same doesn't, doesn't matter, Ishwara Antaryami. Antaryami means the inner controller. Turiyam is Turiyam, it's pure consciousness. Pure consciousness. Why pure consciousness? Because it's the consciousness free of ignorance and error. There is ignorance and error here, but there's no ignorance and error here. Now, moment you see this, you get the temptation of associating them. To use Om for understanding yourself as Turiyam. That's the purpose. Now, what is the purpose? We are going to learn Om meditation. We are going to learn Om meditation. Remember, this is a Vedantic meditation. It's not the other kind of Om meditation which many Hindus are used to. What's that kind of Om meditation? You repeat Om and concentrate on it. Om, you say, just repeat it physically or mentally and you sit. It's a practice. It's called Dirgha Pranava Uchcharana. In Manduk, in Panchadashi, the teacher Vidyaranya says, if your mind is too distracted, one powerful way of quietening down the mind is to chant Om in a prolonged way, in a low tone, and keep it Om. Silence. Om. Not two times or three times. Thousand times, ten thousand times, your mind will become <laughs> quiet. Low, low tone. Don't expend energy in shouting it out. But you know, low tone, fading to an inner Om. Inner Om. Just stretch out the inner Om. Those who have been initiated, you all know that our mantras already have Om in them. But just Om in itself, that's a meditation which is often prescribed. So that is called Dirga Pranavacharana. To, to chant prolonged Om. By the way, just a point, I sometimes use the word Omkara. So, people may get confused, especially those who don't know Sanskrit may think, what's this Omkara and what's Om? Omkara is nothing but the word Om. When you add this Kara, it just means putting the word Om in quotations. When you say Omkara, it, it refers back to the word Om. The word Om itself is Omkara. So, in English we would say analysis of Om. Use the word of. So in Sanskrit you would say Omkara Vichara. Analysis of Om. Now you can associate. Uh, what, what, uh, so, so now... There is one meditation which is chanting the word Om, either in a low tone or mentally, and your mind will calm down. Focus the mind. Here, Om is used as a philosophical meditation. You must, you must repeat it. No doubt you will chant it like you chant it, but with meaning. With meaning. And what is the meaning? The meaning will be given to it by association. Whatever you have learnt now, all that you have learnt in the last few months will be compressed into this little syllable, monosyllable Om. The whole teaching up to the seventh mantra and all the karikas, everything is going to be packed into Om. So it's like a zip file where you take everything in the computer and you know, sort of zip it up. So it's going to be zipped up. All of this is going to be zipped up in this. How do you do it? 
pretty simple. Associate. Associate the R with the waker. Vishwa Virat. With yourself the waker. Vishwa. Let's, let's take the yourself now. You the waker. Associate in your mind U with the dreamer. Associate in your mind mm, with the deep sleep. Deep sleeper. Waker and the waker's experience. The whole world you experience. Uh, dreamer and the various dream experiences you have. Ooh. And deep sleep. And the darkness of blankness of deep sleep. Mm. Remember, these are some common mistakes. People think that, oh, okay, then I'm a, I'll practice them separately. I'm going to practice waker and keep saying, ah. No. The dentist might want you to say that. But <laughs> Gaurapada does not mean that. Gaurapada says, what he means is, you will chant Om as you have always been chanting Om. Don't chant ah, don't chant oo, don't keep sit and say mmm. I mean, it might be delicious. After ice cream, you might say mmm. But that's not what you do here. Here you just chant Om. But you know all of it at once. Mmm is the deep sleeper and the deep sleep darkness. And the silence following that is pure consciousness. You connect with that. The silence is pure consciousness. What happens is, as you chant Om, the whole thing should float past in your awareness. Waker, my world, my problems, my body, my life, all of this is me, what I think of as me, fading away into sleep and dreams come up, various things, that's ooh, underneath the ooh is floating. And then that fades away into absolute stop, full stop, underneath the mmm is floating there. And as that fades away into silence, the nameless, pure consciousness, Turiyam, neither waker, neither sleeper, neither dreamer, not something in between. Hmm? The seventh mantra, something not, not that which can be grasped by the sense organs, nothing that can be grasped by the motor organs, nothing that can be expressed by speech, nothing that can be conceived of by intellect. Hmm? It is the one which refers, is referred to by the continuous eye perception, the eye cognition. It is the quiescence, the silence of the universe. What is the universe after all? A-U-M-A. All the, the whole universe is represented by speech. I'm just reminded of what an amazing philosopher, Wittgenstein. Wittgenstein says, the limits of language are the limits of the world. Just see, amazing. And what Manduke does is, it reduces all of language. To a uma. By the way, I have not gone into it. There, I mean, the problem with Mandukya Upanishad is there are, at every stage, there are such enormous depths. You'll just get, get lost in that if we dive into that. Always I have this decision to make continuously, how deep do I take it? <laughs> so, for example, and they will say, a is the beginning of sound. The first sound a baby makes. The first sound you make when you open your mouth, a. And all the other vowels, the vowels are the ones with which you construct different words. Without vowels you can't construct, the other consonants can't work by themselves. So the, all the other vowels are just modification of your lips. They're all modifications of a. Uh. You see? Uh, all of that. 
it's just modification of lips a a e u o uh, a all the vowels they are all modifications of movement of the lips so a is the primary sound and that alone gets modified into all other sounds this is there in um, in the shastras uh, there's a whole science of language and the spirituality based on the science of language from where all mantras emerge Vedanta just sort of skips over that, but say in Kashmir Shaivism, for example, it's an enormous area of study. There's something called Mantra Shastra, the science of sacred syllables, sacred language, enormous area of study. I don't know much about just, you know, but whatever little I know about it, it's fascinating. I attended a talk in the San Diego Museum of Art by a professor, Staneshwar Timalsina. He is one of the, in my estimation, one of the best professors of Indian philosophy now working in the West. Um, Staneshwar Timalsina. If you Google him, you will find him. Um, he he's an expert on Advaita, but also on Kashmir, uh, on uh, on Tantra. He's Nepalese, and he told me his story. He, at one time he wanted to become a monk, but something or the other happened. He couldn't. <laughs> But he became a philosophy professor. He has a guru. He's a spiritual practitioner himself. And he comes from a long line of, um, of, of tantricas in uh, Nepal. So he gave a talk on tantric art in the San Diego Museum of Art. And I was there. And he showed something fascinating. The, the image of a deity, of a female deity, um, Shakti, particular deity, and the mantra associated with it. And he showed how from the mantra you can construct the whole image, how from the image you can get back the mantra. Uh, they are exactly connected to each other. The person who knows the secret of that can, can do that. So anyway, so there is an enormous science of language. <laughs> Let me give you one little example. That's how fascinating it is. But then it needs, you need to know a little bit of the Sanskrit script and... Ah, the first letter. And the last in the letters which you read is ha. In between are all the letters. From all the letters are made all the words. And from all the words, they all represent the entire universe. The limits of language are the limits of the, uh, of the universe. Okay? And, the limit, and all language is between a and ha. All the other letters, a, a, e, u, everything is between this. Alright? Now, if you put them together, you get aham, which means I. The word I in Sanskrit, it stands for entirety of all language and words compressed into one, representing the entire universe. All words are made of the letters between a and her, and the words represent everything in the universe, whichever can be designated by language. And if you just take the first and the last letters and put them together, you get the word for I in Sanskrit. Another thing, I'm just getting diverted, but this is so fascinating. How many letters are there? Uh, in, in the 26? 26, 26, 26 letters, yes. So, uh, another one is Aham. Aham is the Sanskrit word for I. Hung is also... The word hung is also the bija mantra. Every element in the universe is associated with a letter. These are called bija mantras, seed letters. Hung is the 
letter for sky akasha so huh one letter it's it's a bija mantra for sky for sky it repeats when you uh, do puja and all of that yes it is connected all these are connected i don't know the details but there are fascinating connections so hung is used for sky now the word for i is ahang literally it means not hung a also means not not something just like in english um like a, when you when you add an a it's a negative atheist atheist theist atheist a a means not now sky is the first emanation from the atman upanishad says tasmad vaye tasmad atmana akasha sambhuta taittiriya upanishad from this very atman the turiya from pure consciousness emerged space emerged from that emerged fire of a wind from wind emerged fire from fire emerged water from water emerged the earth so the primitive cosmology ancient cosmology tasmad vaye tasmad atmana akasha sambhuta akashad vayu vayu ragni ragni rapa adhya prithivi so this is how taittiriya upanishad speaks about it go back to the first manifestation the subtlest of anything that you can conceive of a space without any 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 ground no planets no stars nothing just space empty space devoid of anything at all just conceive that strongly nothing is there above below there is no above no below no point of reference no object no stars no nothing just space then drop that space because aham not space you'll be back in turiyam in pure consciousness it's a technique you are that which is not yes is written a book on this who the, the person whom you went to see who had uh, yeah i've got the copy of of uh, art and um, uh, language sacred art and language sure sure i can show that book to you yeah just remind me after the class he presented me with the copy but it's a well known thing there i mean uh, in uh, tantric art i don't know it's a, it's a huge field it's really complex field if you think uh, Advaita is complicated and difficult it's the easiest it's child's play for these people <laughs> he has written the most difficult book on advaita as in the beginning of his career now he's gone into serious stuff now <laughs> uh, consciousness in indian philosophy that's his book okay um anyway this is all aside yes i have a mundane question yes i understand the waker as an individual yes consciousness associated with the collective but i cannot fathom how tajasa becomes a hiranyagarbha tajasa does not become the hiranyagarbha tajasa is the unit is a consciousness associated with one mind hiranyagarbha is the consciousness associated with all our minds but what's the difference between that mind and the uh, virat mind difference is like this one computer and the internet the contents of your hard disk and then the contents of all hard disks and all servers everything put together in the whole uh, whole world that's the difference it's the individual and same difference as as the waking and the and the um, in the uh, in the subtle the gross and the subtle it's a difference between unit and total 
just just here for example your mind you have got knowledge ideas feelings identity there and everybody also has all of that imagine putting it all together but it's like saying my dream has a collective dream also yeah see that's why i said uh, body mind and beyond the mind the darkness there that's why i did not here mention the um, waking dreaming and deep sleep because why is waking dreaming and deep sleep mentioned at all the gross aspect is most easily available in the waking stage it's in the waking stage that we contact the gross universe the physical universe it's in the dream stage that the life of the mind is most free it's entirely mental and it's in deep sleep that you find beyond the mind the merged state which is most clearly evident that's why these three states are meant you need not consider just the dream consider right now in the waking stage everybody's mind in fact i did not go in that's why this depth problems uh, before sometime before there was a point where shankaracharya actually refers to this he says surprise surprise he says you need not even bother with waking dreaming and deep sleep just look at your waking when you are very body conscious that is vishwa when you are deeply in thought forgetting about the body even for an instant that is taijasa and you have moments of absolute relaxation calmness quiet you're not thinking of this or that that's like the pragya here itself hmm? so is it does it make it little clearer i still don't understand me uh. for me i'm just looking at in perhaps in the wrong way looking at from the materiality of yeah no even look at it from materiality consciousness associated with everybody consciousness associated with that body call it vishwa same consciousness if it is somehow associated with all bodies the entire universe living and non living then if such a consciousness is there there is the this is the only place where the upanishad has a point of belief this we don't experience it's only persons who experience who saw that's why arjuna asked for the vishwa rupa darshana in in bhagavad gita show me thy this cosmic form the totality can can i see this so here is when i when i keep saying it is all about experience all about reason but here is a point where the upanishad talks about take it on on faith that there is a consciousness associated with the entire universe this is basically what we call god now extend that to the mind only forget the bodies only the minds of everybody then that I, that i'm comfortable with yes Right. It's gross, subtle, and the most yes. subtle, and then what is behind the subtle? Right, right. So, uh, if I think of the subtle mind, right. What you are thinking of is that in your dream is there a cosmic dream and an individual dream? That's what are you asking? No, not like that. Remember all this analysis. Take it in a very simple way. All this analysis is happening happening at the waking stage here in the class in the Vedanta society. We are all in the waking state and thinking about our dreams. So we will think about. my dream your dream and everybody else's dream my consciousness associated with my dream is what i call taijasa and like that there will be one everywhere but there is one consciousness associated with all our minds that is called hiranyagarbha that could be very well in the waking state also hiranyagarbha's best translation for hiranyagarbha would not be cosmic dreamer it would be cosmic mind if you sandhi vichhed it hmm hiranya garbha yeah ah. so he hiranya garbha or is there a word hiranya hiranya means gold. gold 
this word is uh, there is a different meaning altogether this word is found uh, in many places in the shastras it means golden womb this is something that's common to many different um, religions also for example in taoism they talk about at the beginning of the universe there was a cosmic a golden egg it's very similar to hiranyagarbha hiranyagarbha is another name for brahma the creator of the universe so it literally means golden womb it's is a shining entity from which the universe emerges it's something that sages have perhaps experienced in samadhi or something that's why that name is given yes uh, is it like brahma vishnu and mahesh the first one is brahma second one is hiranyagarbha is vishnu uh, no actually hiranyagarbha um vishnu would be this one ishwara uh, ishwara yes don't connect them to brahma vishnu maheshwara because in a uma sometimes brahma vishnu maheshwara are connected to that because a is the creator so brahma u is the preserver vishnu m is the end dissolution of everything so maheshwara yes but here uh, when you come to virat hiranyagarbha and ishwara ishwara is actually vishnu hiranyagarbha will be virat uh, would be closer to brahma like that Virat is is what uh, is the Vishwarupa which um, Arjuna experienced in the eleventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita, same God with the entire physical universe associated with the physical universe, the so cosmic form, Vishnu Sroopa. All of them are Vishnu Sroopa. Even uh, Brahma is born of the navel of Vishnu only. Anyway, let's not get into that because that's a complex interpretation of Hindu mythology. Remember, Gaurapada or or uh, Mandukya never brings those things up. it just uses the terms and then goes ahead okay um all right so now let's go back to the mantra itself and we'll see what did he say that atman soyam atma if you look at it from the point of view of letters of language it is none other than om that atma has four aspects the om has four aspects what are the or four letters four aspects of atma four letters of om in sanskrit four padas of the atma four matras of om what are the um, and then he says let us match them how will you match them pada matra the aspects of the atman are the letters of the om and the letters of the om are the aspects of the atman that's how you match them so what are the as- uh, letters of om matras of om a u ma akara ukara makara so you see kara this word is uh, the term is used akara means a within quotes ukara means u within quotes the letter u makara means m within quotes the letter m and what do they stand for the four aspects uh, and the silence after that Uh, silence is not mentioned here it will be mentioned in the 12th mantra last one but first the three are mentioned these three represent the waker dreamer and deep sleeper and the waker's universe the dreamer's universe and the deep sleep universe the physical universe the subtle universe and the causal universe that means basically the universe language represents the universe the silence beyond language represents the reality beyond the universe so that's how you match them 
and you're supposed to repeat Om just like you ordinarily repeat Om and cycle it again and again with this understanding. As you keep doing it, automatically the connection will come very easily. Do it a few times, within a few days you will find the connection is automatic. A means waking, this universe, I'll come to you. U means dreaming, all the minds together. M means deep, uh, the silence, uh, the, the darkness of deep sleep, the causal state of the universe. Yes. Yes. Or? Or, or just in my mind, uh, is no, no. Connected to your experience. The yes. Then only. Otherwise, you will. If you say Virat, Vishwa, and uh, pra, Vishwa, Taijasa, Pragya, and Turiya, and then you, what we will realize is the word Turiya. Mm -hmm. But if you actually connect it to experience, what will happen is. The hope is ultimately you will have an experience, ex not experience of Turiya, Turiya is always experience. You will get a clarity about Turiya, you will realize yourself as Turiya. Just, just rotate the experience in your mind. So all becomes long and yeah, yeah. And what about the deep sleep because it's an experience of nothing. Yes. What do I, what do I relate to at this, that time? Imagine deep sleep. Mentally imagine deep sleep because right now you are not supposed you are not supposed to dream also you are not supposed to go into sleep how do you imagine deep sleep that way i'm having trouble a blankness just like blankness yeah 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 black blankness just imagine i have no knowledge it's been described here knows neither the world nor itself the self knows neither the world nor itself the, the fifth and sixth mantras you will see they describe deep sleep so does not desire any desires does not dream any dreams beautiful description of deep sleep Yes. Mm. When, when the, it comes to, mm, you just go, just recreate the deep sleep experience in your mind. How would it like to be in deep sleep? No desires, no, no thoughts, thoughts, no conception of the self also. It does not know the world, does not know the self. Deep sleep. Then silence. All three came and went in what consciousness, in what space? Stay there for a while. When again mind becomes active a little... Then start the Om again. So when I think that all three came in what space? Am I thinking that or the thought stops? No, you are trying to feel it. It will come. You try it yourself, it will come. It's quite easy to vividly reconstruct our waking life. Vividly feel your waking life. Uh, and then vaguely dreams. You don't have to remember a particular dream. It's not dream. It's not like your therapist who wants you to relate your dreams. Just imagine what it is like to be dreaming. Um, body is forgotten. You are in, you know, in bed. You have forgotten the body. And vague thoughts are coming. Images are coming, flitting by one after another. All in the mind. That stops to neither world, nor body, nor dreams, nothing. Blankness. No passage of time. No thoughts coming. Mm, and then silence. Drop that also. Stay there. Then repeat. It takes much longer to say it than actually to do it. You can easily do it. Alright. So, now, having matched them, so we will use Om. The point is not to think of waking, dreaming and deep, deep sleep. The point is to 
realize that I am the Thuriyam. That I am waker, we know this. This is our starting point. I am the dreamer, I also know this. This is a starting point. I alone am in deep sleep, I also know this. In a waking stage, that I was sleeping. This is not Vedanta. We are using this as a starting point. Ah. Step 1, step 2, step 3. Into the fourth step, which is what we want to understand about ourselves. So, this is the process which is given. It's a very powerful technique. See how it combines meditation and philosophy. It packs this meaning, the whole of the Upanishad, into Om. Now, details will be given for this. If you're going to associate A, U and Ma with Waker, Dreamer and Deep Sleeper, there is a process of doing it. Let's see. It's almost over. We'll try it out today a little bit. <laughs> Number nine. Jagarita sthano vaishvanara akara. Jagarita sthano vaishvanara akara. Prathama matra. Prathama matra. Apter adimatvadva. Apter adimatvadva. Apnoti. Havai Sarvan Kaman Adishya Bhavati Yaevam Veda So in the 9th, 10th and 11th mantras what they will do is simply help us to associate A with waker U with dreamer and M with deep sleeper 9th, 10th and 11th mantras and the 12th mantra will be about silence and pure consciousness and that will be the end of the Upanishad. So the ninth mantra is about Vekar and A. Associate Vekar and A. Now the rule of association is, see they think about these things. The rule of association is, why should, why should the Vekar be called A? Basically you are giving a name. You the Vekar, you are called A. The Vishwa is called A. This entire universe which we experience in the waking world, all together it's called A. But why? So he says here, what you, Akara Prathama Matra, A is the first matra and associated with the waking state, Jagarita Sthana, the consciousness in the waking state. Which one is it? Vaishwanara. Vaishwanara is another name for Virat. So you, you see automatically takes the cosmic form. Consciousness associated with everything. Call it A. There is a reason for this. If you take the consciousness associated only with one body, yourself, what you will end up with is, you will find yourself as the witness of one body and mind. Whereas the idea is, you are this, this consciousness is the witness, is the, is the consciousness behind the entire universe. Gross universe, subtle universe, causal universe. So it starts with the entire universe. Virat or Vaishwanara. Now on what grounds will you associate? The rule of association is there must be some similarity between the things you are associating. If you are taking something as a symbol for something else, then why are you taking it as a symbol? So why are you taking A as a symbol for the entire waking experience? Because, he says, two reasons. Apter Adimatvat. First reason is because it pervades. Vaishwanar or Virat pervades our entire physical universe. That's what Arjuna experienced in 11th chapter of Gita. 
Sri Krishna as Vishwarupa, which pervades the entire cosmos. So, pervades means consciousness associated with the entire universe. Because Virat or Vaishwanara is the consciousness associated with the entire universe, and awe, do you remember? It's the primal sound which pervades all other sounds. It's only by modification of a that you get oo and a and e. <coughs> all of that you get by just changing the, the formation of the lips, the configuration of the lips. But the sound you're producing is the first sound itself. Uh, it gets, gets changed. Just like gold, you shape it into different kinds of ornaments. But the same gold continues in and through all the ornaments. When you melt it into and make it into a necklace, it's the same gold. When you melt the necklace down and you make it into a bracelet, it's the same gold in and through that. Now the point they're making is, in and through all our sounds, basically the primal sound, ah, uh, is still continuing. In your oo, it's still the ah, uh, the same thing is coming out. Just the, it's a modification of that. It sounds different. Just like the necklace and the bracelet look different. But inside it, it's the same reality. Similarly, ah uh, pervades all sounds. This is one of the conclusions of the ancient sound, uh, science of language. Because it pervades all sounds, and Vaishwanara or Virat pervades the entire waking universe, they are equated. That's one reason for associating them. Ah uh, is a symbol for the, the cosmic waker. The second reason is Adimattva, being the first. It's the first. So, A uh, is the first sound and Vishwa or Virat, uh, Virat is the first born, the first manifestation. Um, we find Tasmad, Virada, Jayata uh, in the ancient Vedic Suktas that the first thing that was born was Virat. Um, in the Mundaka Upanishad you find Brahma Devanam Sambhuva. Brahma Devanam Sambhuva Vishwasya Karta Bhuvanasya Gopta. So, of all the gods, Brahma was the first to be manifested. That Brahma itself, the physical form will be called Virat. So, it is the first among the gods to be manifested. Remember, Virat is manifested and disappears. When the entire universe is, uh, is destroyed, then this very consciousness exists as Ishvara. It's no longer associated with a physical universe. When the universe is destroyed at the end of a cycle, just like every day, this consciousness which is associated with the physical body, this consciousness itself remains associated with the darkness of deep sleep. There is no physical body, no mind present there in that experience. But it's still you, the consciousness. Similarly, in the case of the universe, it's the same consciousness associated with the manifested physical vast universe. When this universe goes, that consciousness remains. In deep, we will say, I remain in deep sleep, that consciousness will remain with its Maya Shakti, which is Vishnu basically. So, because it is the first and because it pervades everything, that's why A can be related to the uh, Vekar, uh, Vaishwanara. So, and the one who knows this, who meditates thus, a reward is mentioned. So, this is the uh, traditional way to start. Any kind of meditation, immediately they will say, if you practice this meditation, you will get this result. So, always it's uh, very nice things are mentioned, what you will get if you practice it. 
what will happen if you practice it um, it says aapnoti havai sarvan kaman adischa bhavati ayam evam veda whatever you might want in this world you will get and you will become the the best among all uh, all spiritual seekers adi the foremost foremost among all sages you will become and you will get all desires fulfilled it actually works that way because if you really realize that you will know that you are one this entire universe is nothing but you so everything in this universe is yours see you see something very attractive in a dream yeah. oh i want that uh, tesla car and when you wake up when you wake up you realize that the tesla car in your dream it's you only what else was it it was a pro- what you saw in the dream as i and that tesla both of these are not real they are manifestations of the dreaming mind which is you in the same way the one who identifies completely with vaishwanar or virat will feel everything in this universe is nothing other than me does not mean that everybody will sign over their property and cars and everything to the person who meditates on a uh, if you say a uh, and everybody will keep run, uh, come running to give you all their property and money no 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 but you actually feel an identity with everything you feel one with everything that's it let's practice a little of now you know what the om meditation is about a is associated with your waking experience all of it your life u with your experience in the mind in the dream world m with just blankness the deep sleep nothingness the person is gone in deep sleep and then the silence beyond that is the consciousness itself when you get to the silence don't try to imagine the consciousness when you get to a imagine the waking u imagine the dreaming m imagine the deep sleep in m in the silence beyond m drop the deep sleep experience that's the blankness and see what happens you can try nowadays they do this you know swiping so the waking world is in front of you swipe it off oh then u comes then the dream world is there swipe it and then the deep sleep world is there nothing blank swipe that then what is there all right let's see i will keep chanting the om and you think about it oh let us chant om three times together then you will start the meditation by yourself oh
I will keep chanting. You use my chanting to meditate. In the silence of Turiya, if any physical sensation comes, dismiss it. It belongs to the waker. If any thoughts come, dismiss it. It belongs to the dreamer, Taijasa. If blankness comes, dismiss it. It belongs to Pragya. What remains? Now when I will chant the Om, remain in the Turiya, in the silence consciousness of Turiya and allow the waking, dreaming and deep sleep to pass over you as I chant Om. You stay in Turiya. That is Jivan Mukti. Staying in Turiya.
I will chant Om. Please chant with me. And then you will open your eyes. Oh. Slowly open your eyes now when you feel comfortable. Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastur